Hello and welcome to the Reach Out for Mental Health podcast. Joining me as ever today is my co-host Kirsty Ian. Hello. Hello, my lovely. You all right? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Had a very relaxed weekend, which is rare. That was quite nice. You got uh, a lion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been okay. It's been okay. Well, look, we've got a mutual friend today, mutual for, yeah. for various reasons, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. Um, how you doing, Mark? You all right? G'day, Sue. How are you, mate? Good to speak to you again. It's been a while. It has. It has. Um, I mean, g'day, how you doing, mate, He's, uh, gives us <laughs> a kind of insight to the fact that you, you, you're not in Essex at the moment. You, you're clearly down under. Um, and I'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll get to that 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 journey um, as, as as we speak. And and I want to start at the, you know early on in your life before we get to, to to some other stuff. But we always start the podcast the same way, Mark. And and if I say the words mental health to you, what's the first thing that you think of? Oh, mental health um, struggle, I guess for me. Um, yeah, struggle and um, openness. I guess now the two sides of the of the coins. You know what I mean? It was it was a struggle, um, but but the openness that that I kind of found myself going through and and um, and talking about um, really was the best thing I could have ever done for my mental health. So, yeah. Two sides to the coin there, I guess. Yeah. Well, we're we're pretty much um, only months apart in age, and and I guess that's that's how we know each other from 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 growing up in you know literally a stone's throw from each other and going to the same schools as each other. But um, tell me about but before we get on to to to, to sort of later in life and, and more recent times. You know, growing up where we grew up in in in, in Thurrock and Essex wasn't particularly um, a privileged area. It, it wasn't we wasn't living in poverty, but it was a very working class area. Um, and and I think I literally lived you lived at the bottom of the hill that I I, I lived on, and uh, and I would constantly sort of we had lots of shared friends. You lived in a very interesting. Uh, <laughs> piece of the rabbit arches, I believe they were referred to Stuart at the time. The what, what was that? Arches. I missed that. The rabbit arches they used to be called. <laughs> That's right. I have yeah. not heard it called that for ages. Um yeah. and it was um it was like a kind of sort of it's a really interesting sort of thing to to describe because it was it was sort of dug out of the ground, wasn't it? And then they built these houses in this kind of sort it was of a, it was a really strange setup, Stu. When I when I tell people now, like the, the the layout and the floor plan of like those houses, like I don't know how many you ever went in. Um, they were they did differ a little bit up and down the street, but like you walked in my front door and there was a garage and a downstairs toilet. You walked up one flight of stairs. There was a kitchen, dining room, and back garden. You walked up another flight of stairs. There was a living room. You walked up another flight of stairs. There was two bedrooms. And you walked up another flight of stairs and there was a, a master bedroom and another another bathroom. Um, it was bizarre, like random sort of. Um, and the garden was like 
the elevation in the garden from from standing at the patio door to the to the back garden fence was probably about five meters. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Like yeah, they didn't landscape that very well. They literally just dug it out, like you say. You know what I mean? It was. Yeah. Um, you got your daily workout walking up to the washing line, mate. You know what I mean? It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but one of the things um, that, that I think is quite interesting about uh, that that location was I, I would go and sort of hang out there because there were so many kids in this in this one street that mm. all went to pretty much the same school. And so, just talk me through. You know, your your, your childhood was. You know, did you look back on it now with fondness? Was it a happy time? No, not really, Stu. Um, we ended up there. Um, how I ended up there, because I, I, I came to Little Farrock, you probably don't remember, I came to Little Farrock in the third year. I do remember, Mr. Yeah. Rose's class. Um, and um, we ended up there because the council flat that we were living in, in Averley, um, was, was slated for um, demolition. Proper grim estate that was, hands down, the worst place I've ever, I've ever lived. Like, it was, it was really rough. Um, so I was pretty glad to get out of there, I'll be honest. Um, and moving into the rabbit arches was, was a real like step up. Do you know what I mean? It was an actual house. Like we had a three bedroom flat where we were in Avery. It was, it was awful. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't particularly, um, wasn't particularly happy time. I don't remember. I remember that time as when we moved into Boscombe, um, that was around the time when, when my parents were divorced. Um, Stu, I'm not sure you're aware of that. And, and you my live dad with and my stepmom lived. You live with your mum and your sister, yeah. I live with my mum and my sister and my stepdad and my half-brother, um, of whom we, we no longer speak. <laughs> That's another story. Um, yeah, so we we moved there and um, I never had a particularly good relationship with my stepfather um, and my mum had some some quite serious mental health problems and, and stuff like that. And I was it was always me who got, who got bounced to, to, my, to my dad's um, whenever there was any kind of... I remember one time, my stepdad was... He had a job, kind of, but he, he was. I remember one time him going, "Oh, we're, we're financially better off if I'm on the dole because we get housing benefit and all this." So he he, he chucked his job in and went on the dole, Stu. And I was like, "Do you know what I mean I'm wearing I'm wearing army down second hand clothes to school?" Do you know what I mean? All that, and it was it was I found it quite alienating and um, and things like that. And and I remember one conversation where my mum said to me. Um, you got to go and live with your dads um, because we got to cut back on costs and you cost too much to keep was a phrase that she used. Like I was a dog or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And it was, and I'm like, don't get me wrong. She, I love my mum. She was, she was a beautiful woman and, and a maternal, you know, mum, you know, um, to her core. Um, but I, I heard her say that. And that, that was my stepdad's words coming out of her mouth. Do you know what I mean? That was, that was exactly how I heard that. Um, so yeah, any time there was any drama or any time like someone had to be, you know, um, moved, moved to, moved somewhere else. It was always me who, who went to my dad. So, um, always felt a little bit sort of disjointed and, you know, um, yeah, I don't remember that as a, as a particularly happy time at all, really. Um, and I remember with the last time it happened was, um, you, you know, I remember this, Joe, do you remember Red Nose Day in our fifth year? Yeah. Um, me and, me and Richard Walmer, cause it was like fancy dress. We went to school in um, bottom half, Bermuda shorts and flip-flops, top half, school shirt and tie, right? Because we thought it'd be funny. That day, anyway, Red Nose Day, that was 1989. Um, so that was March, that would have been, two, three months before we started our GCSEs. And um, 
and that was that weekend. That was another time where my mum had a, a bit of a, um, a what we could say, mental breakdown, and um, I had to go and live with my dad. Um, so I was bussing in from Corinham to Willie Eds every day for three months, running up to my GCSEs. And for people um, that, like geographically don't like they're listening, that's that's a good twenty-five minutes on a on a, on a bus in the morning. That's yeah, not walkable. Yeah, was, that's you know. Yeah, I was. I get the bus to to um, Socket Safety and then walk down Blackshots Lane. Like it was. It was an hour and 20 minutes, do you know what I mean? Mm. Commute to school like every day. It was, it was rubbish. Um, so, yeah, and then to, to turn up at school and start performing for GCSEs and that, like I flunked them like quite badly, do you know what I mean? I, I, luckily, my mock exam results were really good and I'd already got a job on the strength for them. Um, so it, it didn't really, when the results came through in August, I'd already started work, so too late then, do you know what I mean? So mm. unlucky, I'm here now. Um but yeah, it was it wasn't a great time like at all up until you know um, I left home really when I was seventeen. I mean that's that's quite I mean that's quite young to leave leave home, Mark. And and just just before we get on onto that, like at the point leading up to that where you're experiencing being kind of you know the back and forth between you know your, your dad's ass and living with your mum and stepdad and, and you know and and hearing like you know then was the that you, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you were smart enough to realise was your stepdad's words going through your mum's mouth, you know. Um, totally, yeah. Like, yeah. did did at any point? I mean, you know, like I say, we're we're the same age and the same generation and the same kind of, you know, circle of, of, of friends. I guess. Like, did you ever feel that you could, at that point, sort of chat to someone and go, "Oh, like, this is what's going on," and like, this is making me sad. Not really, Stu. I didn't really have any mates in the same sort of boat, really. Um, I'm just trying to think back now, like the mates I had at the time and um, all their parents were still together. Do you know what I mean? I'm just trying, racking my brains now, trying to think, but um, the kids down our street, like Glenn and Andy Walker and all, all their parents were together, the people I used to hang out with, um, my next door neighbour, Joe, his parents were still together. Like all the people I used to hang out with were, were, um, were all their families were, were you know, together still. The, the people I used to talk to the most about it were, were my two brothers, me, me two stepbrothers. Um, to this day, I'd say they're, they're, they're my best mates. Do you know what I mean? They're, you know, um, yeah, I talk to me, my oldest stepbrother now. We talk every day still now because um, they were experiencing it the same as me, but, you know, not quite, you know, they weren't getting bounced around as, not, as much as I was. They had a much more stable sure. home, but at least they, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever resign sitting down and saying to him, oh, you know, this is making me sad. Do you know what I mean? But I remember talking about, you know, why I've got to move, you know, again, you know, and it wasn't like I was in the spare room. I was on a blow up sofa in my brother's bedroom on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, oh, there's a spare room for you, Mark. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, you go and hang out in there. Um, and that's, and I think that, that's, that, those kinds of times are when, um, that's when the music obsession started was then because it was um I was like I used to get up and do my paper round and, and ride my bike to school and that and it was it was Walkman all day, every day, at school, to school, from school, at home in the evening, just walk I just retreat into that stew and um and that's how that's how I become such a, a music obsessed nerd. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um because I just used to retreat into that little world of, you know, kind of fantasy world if you like do you know what i mean of, of listening to other people's stories and lives and you know thinking about that rather than you know my own life and kind of disassociating with myself a little bit i think that's probably where it all started yeah um can i just pick up on something that you said there mark 
So yes. you were saying about how you didn't feel that um, you couldn't speak to your mates because they weren't sharing the same experience as you, that, you know, their folks were still together. Yeah, I didn't think they'd understand what I was going through, Kirst. Because their parents were still together. Do you know what I mean? And the crux of my problem was my parents were, were divorced and I didn't get on with my stepdad and... Do you know what I mean? Like those, those, those are my issues, and, and and there wasn't anyone else I knew was I felt would relate. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I just so, I kept it to myself, which seemed which seemed to be the start of a of a path. So so for you, um, speaking to somebody who didn't who 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 didn't have a shared experience as you wasn't an option. It was really important to you to speak to someone who's got that, as I say, that shared experience. I feel that. that yeah, I felt. I felt to understand me and my problems and what I was going through, um, that 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 sort of person would have to kind of have experienced it. Do you know what I mean? And that's part of the reason why I sort of said to you, I, I wouldn't mind coming on and talking about, you know, what I've been through because I feel like there, you know, when you hear someone's actual story who's been through it and and been there and done it, you you relate more and um, you take it on board a bit more. Do you know what I mean? And it's a bit rather than just some you know, um, a teacher or counsellor or, do you know what I mean, in later days, like at work, like you have Are You OK Day in England? Yeah, that's right. Do you have Are You OK Day? Oh, OK. It's, it's a day. It's in September in, in Australia. It's Are You OK Day. It's promoted in the workplace and it's and it's basically reach out to your mates if you feel they might be struggling, ask the question, are you OK? Right, basically. Um, and, and, you know, basically what it, what it boils down to in, in Australian industry, in my experience, is um, the admin girl goes and gets some some cupcakes. You get some Are You OK pens out. Everyone stops for a coffee break. The manager stands up and tells everyone it's OK to to not be OK and, you know, talk to your mates and blah, blah, and then everyone goes back to work. Tick, tick that box, done. Do you know what I mean? There's no actual substance to it. So, um, and, he, and and that manager don't know, do you know what I mean? He, he's not had any kind of experience of, you know, what, what I might be going through. So, um, yeah, that's why I wanted to come on here and, and just talk about, you know, um, what I've been through. And, and and maybe, you know, even if only one person hears it and, and thinks about it and relates and, you know, and maybe, you know, tries to put in some of the strategies that I put in to, to get through what I got through, then, you know, it'd be worth it. You, you you touched on music then as well, which you know we've, we've both got a we're both nerds when it comes to that. Um, and even back then, was you getting because you know you're talking about being sort of fifteen, sixteen, uh, doing your paper, and was that sort of sense of escapism? Was you already sort of tuning into what you know the, the sort of lyrical content of, of of other people's experiences and and and, and songs? I'll be honest, you not at that age. No, it wasn't until I was till I was much older. Lyrically, I started picking up on things. But um, I remember um, as a kid, my mate's older sister. I wish I could remember her name. His name was Adrian. It's in that rubbish block of flats I used to live in in Avery. And um, I went round his house one one night for dinner, and she had she was a massive jam fan. This is like eighty one, eighty two. She had every jam seven inch game, and I remember listening to. Um, I think it was down in a tube station at midnight and, and I was only eight or nine, but I, f I was feeling it. But obviously at that age, you don't understand the lyrical content of, of a song like that. But I remember that age kind of feeling, feeling the song and, you know, I mean, feeling like the, you know, the, uh, 
what's the word? The, the, the discontentment, the, the the anger, the frustration in the song. Do you know and I mean? and he's got a, he's got a massive sense of urgency about it. That record as well. Yeah, it's like he can't it. get them words out quick enough. He's quick spitting, enough. Yeah, he's yeah, spitting yeah. them out. He's, he's so angry yeah. and like yeah, and yeah. yeah, like you you can see why you know lads that were probably four, five, six, seven years older than us at that point were just mm, on, totally. on board Especially with the jam. In the, yeah, in that, in that era of early 80s, you know, people, you know, I'm sounding old now, Stu, but, like, you think the GFC was bad in 2008, 2009, that's nothing to what it was like in the early 80s, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like it absolutely, absolutely. It was shocking, absolutely shocking. Um, yeah, I always remember that time always reminds me of seeing, seeing the specials Ghost Town on, on number one on top of the pops. Same thing, do you know what I mean? Like same, same sort of you know subject matter. Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember hearing the song and thinking, that's I felt connection to it, but not you know I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't put it into words like why. I just, I just felt it. And um, yeah, like what I was listening to at that time was was like chart stuff, pop stuff of the day. Um, you know, uh, I remember I had Legend, Bob Marley that I used to listen to a lot. Um, I had. Um, like uh, I'd rock set, look sharp. That was one of my favourite tapes. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a good story, which I'll probably tell you another time about. Um, I'm Millie Vanilli, Bobby Brown. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then I remember, I don't know if you were there or not. We got the bus up to to London Zoo for a school trip. We we're in the fifth year, and um, someone had uh, what's the public enemy that starts off at Hammersmith Odeon or Hammersmith Apollo? Takes a nation of millions. Yeah, someone had that, and we all we all had that on the back of the bus. And I remember thinking, that's going the here. same fucking feeling yeah. you'll get from here in the jam ten years yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Anger, frustration, remember, and urgency. Remember, Chee Johnson used to have a Public Enemy T-shirt when we was at school, and I used to think he was the coolest kid going. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because he had that T-shirt. I spoke um, to him yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> that's a small it's world. Probably, yeah, he probably wouldn't remember me, but yeah, I remember him having that T-shirt and thinking, he's a cool kid. Do you know what I mean? And then there was, um, what was that radio? Gary Crowley used to do a radio show. Mm. I used to start listening to that. Was it Radio London or LBC mm. or one of them? Radio something London. like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, I remember I remember listening to that when I was 16 or 17. And then I started my apprenticeship and um, I met this geezer and um, he, he opened up my musical landscape like nothing else. Um, yeah, he brought a tape in on the first day. Asked me what I listened to. What would you listen to? And I went, 16 and I, Billy Big Bollocks, Bobby Brown, Millie Vanilli. And he didn't laugh, to be fair. He just walked away and he went, don't worry, I'll sort you out. And the next day he came in with a tape and he was he was only eight, nine years older than me. Um, and he came in with a tape and ACDC, Clapton, BB King, John Leuca, Led Zeppelin, Cream, do you know what I mean? John Miles, Blues Breakers, all of that. He started me down that road and then that was it. I, I, I just took off. Um, and I'll never look back. That was 1989. Um, yeah, Mark, now, the, yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark did a similar service to me. I don't mind sharing. <laughs> <laughs> so years and years ago when I was saying, um, yeah, Mark, Mark had already started my, my musical enlightenment. And, um, and I said that I was into like soul and blues. <laughs> oh, I can't bring myself to say it. And he's like, oh yeah, who'd you like? And I said, Michael Bolton. <laughs> So then Mark made me a CD. I've still got it now. And it is one of my favourite CDs titled Who the Fuck is Michael Bolton? <laughs> the start of my um, blues and soul. At the, time, 
at the time he had he had, he'd done that thing that, that a lot of old crooners do where he'd, he'd covered a load of like soul standards um drift away i think was 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 the single and um that was one that Kirsty loved and i was like i ain't having this do you know what i mean like I'm, I, I can't have this like going on so yeah um, i remember i do i distinctly remember making you that cd and um and it was all the originals do you know what i mean um you know sam cook marvin gay you know all that all the original stuff that he'd, he'd put out on that covers album yeah um yeah <laughs> he uh he two things about michael bolton i remember hearing when that come out um i think it was otis redding's wife said it was the only person she'd ever heard do one of his songs justice which i thought was quite a, 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 an accolade but yeah but the, the thing that i'll give uh bolton is is huge credit for is the fact that he's the only man that has ever been able to have three haircuts on one head. Like... <laughs> I can only dream of that, Steve. I can't even get one, mate. <laughs> he had three haircuts. It made no sense. It was like, right, what's going on at the front? Yeah. What's kind of going on yeah. at the top? And then there's all sorts of stuff going on at the back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> three haircuts, one head. That should have been the album. Um... <laughs> That's a great title, that. <laughs> All right. Well, look. Um, moving sort of forwards a bit, Mark. Like, um, so you, you took on a, 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 an apprenticeship, and sort of give me a, a bit more of a kind of sort of timeline as to as to how your life went from there to, to finding yourself in Australia. Oh, I'll try and give you the quick brief version. So, I, I did my apprenticeship in in Chilby Docks at Cargills, that smelly place that you probably know about, living mm. in Farrick Park. Um, I was there till '93. Um, and I had family in New Zealand, still have. And, um, and then my uncle would come over in in late 92 and said, you know, you can, you know, come out. There's, there's plenty of work. And it's what I wanted to do. I think one of the benefits of of growing up how I grew up, Stu, is, is I never really felt I had roots anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd only lived in Essex, but I'd been Averley, Grays, Linford, Tilbury. Do you know what I mean? And I'd bounced around quite a lot. And... Um, I never felt like a, I was never one of them, one of them geezers who, who never felt like he could leave his family. Do you know what I mean? So when, when the option came to, to go and live in New Zealand, when I finished my apprenticeship, when I was 21, I was like, yep, that's a bit of me. I'm having that. See you later, everyone. Um, so that's what I did. I uh, went to live in New Zealand in, in 90, 94, missed the whole start of the blur oasis Britpop revolution. Do you know what I mean? I missed it all. Because um, back in there was no internet in the early 90s. No, I mean, there was nothing. I came mm. back to England in 95 and all of a sudden this is all going on. Whatever was in the charts. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. Anyway, it's another story. So, yeah. So I came back. I did a year there. I had the option to stay full time. Um, but I never really felt like I connected with the place or the people. Um, I didn't make that many friends. I was very socially awkward. I still am but I was really bad when I was 21 and I never really kind of made a proper fist of, of putting down roots and living there. So I came back and I spent six months on the dole. Brilliant, brilliant decision that was. Um, and then I eventually worked around a few places. I worked in West Farrock for, for a few years and then I got stuck in a bit of a rut. I was there for five or six years. And then um, I remember back in the day when you used to get job newspapers just a paper with full of job adverts. I was reading one of them one night and it said opportunities overseas. Um, volunteers wanted tradesmen, doctors, teachers, nurses, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
and it was it was an organisation called VSO, Voluntary Service Overseas, and um, they're kind of like an agency, and they get the vacancies and then they get the people and they kind of match them up. So I wasn't specifically applying for an actual job as such. Um, I was just applying to be a volunteer. Most rigorous application process I've ever been through. Um, you know, interviews, group interviews, you know, assessment centres, training, you know, all the rest of it. Um, it took about six months, but then they, they accepted me as a volunteer and then I had to look at placements. I ended up going to Namibia um, in Southwest Africa for supposed to be two years, um, but we got evacuated because of the close proximity of the civil war in Angola. Um, um, so early 2000, came back to England. Um, then I started at uh, Tilbury Power Station. I was there for a few years and then... Um, and then I went to BP Corriton for a couple of years. And then um, I, in the meantime, I've met my ex-wife. Um, we got married and the plan always was to move overseas. That was always the plan. Um, so 2009, we both lost our jobs. Um, and we said, right, this is it, let's go. We were married in October 2009 and we came to Australia in May 2010. And I've been here ever since. So I take it, would you say that you've got... Roots in Australia now. You, you, you like Australia? Absolutely, 100%. My kids were born here. They go to school here. Um, I'd never I'd never consider going to live anywhere else. No, yeah. definitely not. This is it. Yeah, this is it. This is where I'm going to retire and, yeah, play golf till I die. Did, did, you, uh, did you adjust quickly to, to the lifestyle in Australia? Yeah, I think... Um, as we, we touched on before we started recording, like the, the drinking culture and the and the gambling culture and that kind of thing um, suited my, suited me at the time. Um, the, uh, the the style of job I was I was looking at doing before I came here was is was what's called FIFO, fly in, fly out. So what I wanted to do was um, uh, there's different rosters you can get: one week on, one week off, two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, one week off. But basically, you fly to the desert to a remote mine site for a week or two weeks or whatever. Then you come back um, for a week or two weeks. And, you know, it's quite a good work-life balance. Um, it's quite well paid as well, isn't it, if I'm right? Like... I was uh, at BP in, in Corriton. That was the best paid job I've ever had in the UK. And um, I was on more than triple that um, doing fly-in, fly-out work, week mm. on, week off. So I was, I was only working six months a year. Um but it's hard, Stu. It's it's hard. It's it's twelve hour days. Um, it gets up to 45, 46, 47, 48, 49 degrees. I've been in fifty degrees before Celsius. Um, it's it's really hot. Um, the, the the work's hard. Um, it's dirty, dusty. Um, you're away from your family for long periods. Um, it's not for everyone. Put it that way. Yeah. And so um, you, you, you touched on the drinking and the, and the gambling culture that, yeah. that sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, something that, 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 that fitted in quite nicely uh, to, in, in your kind of, what you... What you it, it did, Stu, yeah. And so was, was that something that, you'd, that, that was going on in the UK? Was, you know, was you... Yeah, I was never, I was never a massive drinker, um, but I liked a beer. Um, and one of the best things I always tell people about about living in Australia is, is and you'd know this yourself having been here, the selection of beers. Um, like you, you go to the Treagle Mine, you've got Carlsberg, Cronenberg, do you know what I mean? Guinness, 
um, and, you know, and Heineken probably. And then you go to the Oaks and you've got the same five beers and you go to the Acorn and you've got the same five beers. It's always the same. But here you go to a pub and there's 10 beers. You go to another pub, there's a dozen different beers. You go to another pub, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's other different ones. There's like craft breweries and, you know, and I know craft breweries are a thing now in England now, but yeah, that's by the by. Um, so yeah, the, the, the selection of beers here and the quality of them is, is, is outstanding. Um, and as we touched on before we started recording, what blew my mind the first time I walked into a pub in Australia was the fact that you can, um, watch live horse racing, sports, etc., and gamble on it without leaving the pub. Um, they have kiosks and, and big screens in the pub where you can sit there, get drunk and have a bet at the same time, which is, um, dangerous. You know oh, I mean? Ultimately, um, that is that is like going to Vegas and going to a casino, isn't it? It's like, look, we'll totally. make you yeah, as yeah. comfortable as you can be. Yeah. We'll ply yeah. you with yeah. drinks, and uh, yeah. and yeah, yeah, and here's a green light yeah. to to gamble. Yeah, yeah, totally. But gamble responsibly. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the phrase of pays. It's, it's amazing, um, yeah. isn't it, that that little disclaimer seems to just give them carte blanche to do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, we're yeah, going yeah, 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 to yeah. ruin your life, but. Um, yeah, it's yeah, all right. We've put yeah. we've put that little bit at the bottom, so yeah, we're, we're yeah. good. And, and the, the gamble aware website and the phone number and that's like you need a magnifying glass to see it on the screen. Do you know what I mean? When they flash it up for a millisecond at the end of the advert, um, the one the one they they say in now, which which gets under my skin a little bit, is when the fun stops, stop. That's that's the one they they use over here now, and and, and you can't get away from it, Stu. Um, like it, it's like obviously I watch I watch Premier League football. I'm a Tottenham fan. Um, you watch the game. There's 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 adverts for gambling companies while you're watching the game on the billboards. Um, there's you know it's on some of the players on have it on their shirts. Some teams it's half time. There's adverts for it. Um, the app that I use Live Score to to get goal alerts and stuff like that that has banner ads for Bet three six five. Like it's it's just if you're into sport you can't you can't get away from it. Like it's it's there. Facebook. Do you know what I mean? If you follow Match of the Day and you know and whatever and sky sports on facebook you get bombarded with with all the betting companies as well do you know what i mean because it's just how the, how the algorithm and advertising works um so yeah it's very difficult um not that i'm making excuses for myself and and what what eventually happened but um it's in your face do you know what i mean a lot so did, did, did gambling become something to become more frequent yeah so i think probably to to go back to where it probably started to take it back to the source was um, as a kid, um, we used to go to Valley Farm, Clacton, every summer with me nan to a caravan. I know you're nodding. You've been there as well. You are, you know the you know the score. Um, and it'll be like here's a pound, lose yourself down the amusements for for an hour or so, whatever. And I was that kid. I'd stand next to the old ladies once my pound had had, had gone, and I'd help them. I'd tell them why, because I knew all the reels. Do you know what I mean? I knew I knew what how many nudges what you needed. Do you know what I mean? I, and I'd stand there and they'd give me twenty p or fifty p or whatever for helping them out. I was acting and I'd spend eight hours in there, and and no one batted an eyelid because late seventies, early eighties, Stu, you know it was it was um it was not seen as a problem for for an eight or nine year old kid to to spend a day in in you know watching fruit machines go around. Do you know what I mean? It just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I'm not I'm not blaming parents or anyore anyone for that. It's just just how it was at the time, you know, and I just, it's what I used to do. Um, 
So then, yeah, as a teenager, I'd, I'd be in the up in the arcade down by the train station, you know, by the as the stairs you go over the level crossing. I'd be in that one a bit. Um, I wasn't really one for betting shops. Um, and then as I got a bit older, then um, online poker became a thing, and I used to play that. Um, so yeah, I always liked to gamble. Um, but I think yeah, once I came to Australia and and then the mental health problems really started getting a bit serious. Then just. Um, just quickly, Mark, before you you you, you, yeah, go you, you go, I just want to just interject there. Like when you was talking about, you know, you'd go to the arcade in the town centre, um, and 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 that's very that's nothing like going to, you know, an arcade on the seafront for a couple of hours. That is a place put in a very very poor part of where we live, and it a poor area where yeah, we live, yeah. where yeah. that that that's there for one purpose only, and that that's literally to, you know, to give people that need that kind of fixing yeah. their life a, a place to go. And, and I mean yeah, that with yeah. the greatest respect, Mark. Um, no, no, I, I, I had a gap in my life, Stu. I had, I had, you know, I, had, I was lacking fulfilment and, you know, love probably and, you know, other things to do. And, yeah, that's, that's why I went there. I totally, yeah, 100%. And when you, you'd go out with your mates, because I, I, I've, I've had a couple of mates that uh, both live in Australia now, bizarrely, um, that if I'd go for a beer with them, They'd be on the fruit machine all night in the pub, and it's like, mate. Yeah, that was like, right. I, was I mean, guy, did, did, yeah, because yeah. I was always the one that would go to my mates. Fuck's sake, have a look at yourself here. Like we're trying to have a beer here. Like you, you, you give yeah. me a shot, and I'm sitting here, I'm yeah. urinating a bag of peanuts. Like, why are you <laughs> yeah, over yeah, there yeah. on the fruit machines? And it's like, yeah, did, did yeah. you ever get that kind of fucking hell, Mark? We're trying to have a drink here. Um, it depend. I think I was quite good at masking it, and Kirsty will bear me out on this. Kirsty, can you ever remember having me having a beer with me and me gambling on a fruit machine while we were out? No, but my memory no. is utterly crap. No, I never did. I never did because I would never let you see that side of me. But when I was with my brothers and my mates, absolutely, I would be that guy. But when I was with you and we used to go to the Treacle Mine or whatever for a beer and a catch-up, I would, yeah, I wouldn't. I would, I would never. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let you see that side because I knew it was a problem. Mm. Um, and I knew you'd be on to me about it because that's the kind of kind, loving person that you are. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'd never let you see that side for that reason. Hit it very well. Um, yeah, very well. Oh, right, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to interject there and just ask about that. Um, because no, uh, yeah, I, no, I, I just think if, yeah, yeah, yeah. if people are listening that, that they've got a friend that's doing that, you know, like, is that a good point to start to kind of, you know, go like, is everything all right? Like, you know, why are you, why, why are you spending like this on here? And like, you know, why are you spending more time at the fruit machine and you are socialising with your friends and we're meant to be out? You know, I just want people to kind of, you know, pick up on these these things. Should they be experiencing yeah. that in their, their circle of mates? For me, Stu, if, if you're if you're doing that with your mates, I think behind closed doors, it'll be even worse. I know I, I've had mates who who do that the same as I did, and I know for a fact that they're they're in the casino at South End. Do you know what I mean? Blowing hundreds of pounds every weekend as well. Do you know what I mean? Not just twenty quid in a fruit machine. Do you know what I mean? It's the tip of the iceberg, really. I always think. Um, you know, if that's what you're seeing, what you're not seeing is probably, you know, a lot worse. So I think it's a hundred percent. If you've got a mate like that, just have a chat with them. Do you know what I mean? And, and, you know, have the conversation. Is everything all right? Do you know what I mean? Do you feel like you might have a bit of a problem? You know, blah, blah, blah. Because I think that, I think that when it starts interjecting and, and, and affecting your, your, your social life and your family life, that's when it's, that's when it's a problem. Do you know what I mean? And that, that is when it's a problem. When did that? Um, so the, the people that you used to be on fruit machines with, 
your brothers, if they had have said, Mark, I think, I think, you know, if things getting a bit out of hand here, you know, we've come down here for a, for a, for a tinny and, uh, and all you're doing is, is spending your time on the fruit machines. What would you, do you think you would have had the insight and the um, courage, I suppose, to admit, would you have even twigged at that point that you had a problem? No, I knew I had a problem. I knew I had a problem, but I think it's kind of um, it's kind of a, a running theme throughout my life that, uh, that I've been very good at hiding my problems, including my gambling problem. Um, and I think if 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 one of my brothers had 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 that conversation with me, I would have gone, yeah, 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 no, no, you're right, you're right, you know, you are, you're right. And I would have stopped, and then I would have, you know, gone somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? To get. To, to, I would have gone to a different, you know, uh, fruit machine. I would have made sure. Then I made a mental note, right? He said that, you know, I've had that conversation with Al now. So um, next time I'm at the pub with Al, I better remember not not to do it. Do you know what I mean? So to such excess. But I would make sure I would I would still, you know, fulfil that need. Do you know what I mean? When he wasn't around, I would I would make a mental note, right? I know he's he's on that, you know, he's in he's on the. I know I don't want to say I'm friendly because it's the exact opposite, but he's 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 one of those people I can't gamble around now because he's going to pull me up on it. Yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to be pulled up on it. Do you know what I mean? And like the same reason I never did it in front of you, Curse, because I knew I knew you were that you would have no problem saying to me, "What are you doing? Have you got a problem? Do you want to talk about it?" But I made me confront it, and then, and that's why I never did it. That's why I never did it around you because um, I didn't want to have that conversation. When did it become more of something that you was just trying to kind of sort of sweep under the under the rug to actually write this is affecting a, a wider a, a wider when, spectrum um, of people and I think when it um it it didn't I think for me it it for years once I got married and um and I moved to Australia and I had kids it wasn't an issue for years and years and years it was it was gone um it was it was always kind of there for you know casino in perth we'd go out i'd have a little bet do you know what i mean um i spent a bit of time when i first came here managing a backpackers hostel we'd play we'd have fans of 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 uh, texas oldham do you know what i mean now and again we'd all go to the casino went to the races one year for my birthday i mean it was always around but it was it was never problem gambling it was never excessive problem gambling it was always well within my financial means um but i think um to 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 for it to get to the point that it did i think you probably should maybe fill you in on on the kind of what was going on in my life at the time so um 2012 my son was born um at this point i've been doing flying fly out work for a year one week on one week off um and Dexter was was five weeks early in in August 2012, and um, he was very very sick um, when he was born. Um, I won't go into the to the to the ins and outs of his of his medical conditions, of which there are many. Um, he he was very very sick to the point where um, he was. We were called to the to the NICU unit in the middle of the night and said, "It's he's not likely he's going to make it through the night." So it's best come in and like, you know, say goodbyes and stuff like that. Um, my my wife at the time was coerced into an unnecessary cesarean. Um, and that was incredibly traumatizing for her. 
Um, I'd only just made it back for the berth because I was at, at on site at the time. Um, the same week we'd completed on the house that we were moving into because we were in a rental. We got the keys the day before Dexter was born. Um, we pretty much spent all our money on a deposit and carpets and painting and everything else for the house. We had like almost no money. Obviously my, my wife at the time had, had stopped work. She was on maternity leave. Um, that week um, where we were moving house and Dexter was touch and go, is he going to live or not? Um, I also got made redundant from the job I was in. Um, we had no family around us. It was just, just me and my, my wife. Um, and she, she was, um, diagnosed with, with, um, PTSD, anxiety, depression. Um, and her, her mental health issues were, were quite large, um, and, and took up a lot of, I don't, I can't really say this without sounding bad, Stu, but, it was a lot of mental real estate in our, in our lives. It, it, it covered. Um, and, um, and, and that's not to, you know, it was horrible and terrible what happened to her. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was genuinely traumatizing for us both. Um, the guilt that I felt, you know, around not stepping up and stepping in and saying, no, she doesn't need us. You're in the hands of doctors, Stuart. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a, an obstetrician, you know what I mean? If, if a doctor says you go have a cesarean, you just say, yeah, don't you? Do you know what I mean? You don't, do. you don't question you do. it, you don't argue it. Um, when they use that, your child's your child's health's at risk, you know what I mean? Then, you know, you, you can't really, once they play that card, you're done and yeah, that's it, you're out of the game. Yeah. You've, got, you've got to go along with it. Um, so I never, having lost my job as well, and I've been moving into the house and, and, and my ex-wife was, um, whoops, spoiler alert, ex-wife was um, uh, was recovering from her cesarean. I had, I was just in that survival automatic mode of, uh, we can't both go down here. Do you know what I mean? One of us, one of us needs to, 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 to stay with it and, and lock everything away um, and not, um, and not fall down. Um and then subsequently, obviously, she she couldn't work. She was she didn't plan to go back to work anyway. But we had no money to. We were just. I remember we went to her parents paid for us to to go and visit at Christmas that year. So when Dexter was a few months old, um, and we came back in in January, and we had a um, hundred dollars in the bank. It's about fifty quid, um, and and that was it. No job, nothing. Um, so we had a credit card at the time and, and while I got up and running with work, um, we lived, we lived on that. My ex-wife had no idea that's what was going on. I was just for the, for the benefit of her mental health. I was like, yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll take over. I'll look after it all. Blah, blah, blah. And we were just flying by the seats of our pants for, for a long, long time. I'd missed mortgage payments. Um, but, I was determined that the, the Australian dream wasn't going to die. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was absolutely out of it. And she was as well, to be fair, but there was at no point, I mean, everything we went through with Dexter when he was born and the, and the times we had after, you know, at no point did either of us ever think, let's go back to England. Like, no way. It was never, it was never, ever an option. 
Um, it was always, this is what we're doing and we're going to do whatever we need to do to, to make this dream work. So I, when she found out about the credit card debt we were in, she said to me, don't get me wrong, she went fucking mental um, as far as angry goes, you know what I mean? And, and with me, and, you know, she said, if you ever do anything like that again, we're through, that's it, we're finished. Um, and then over the next couple of years, the work that I was picking up was just casual work. I couldn't get a full-time start anywhere. It was a one-week casual contract, a two-week casual contract. And when you're the only one working, it, it, it's very, very stressful um, to the weight of the mortgage. Um, and we were financially committed that me working in Perth wasn't an option. It's a 50% pay cut straight away if I'm working local. Um, and we just couldn't afford it with, with only one, with one salary coming in. So I had to continue to work away. The guilt that I felt every time I got on the plane, Stu, and left her behind with Dexter going through what he was going through and her going through what she was going through was just horrendous. Like, I can't even tell you. Like I, At the time, I felt like I was doing the right thing and, you know, just, just bringing the money in was was all I could do, mate. Do you know what I mean? And um, the, the guilt that I felt over that, the guilt that I'd, that I'd, brought her over to Australia away from her friends and her family. And, you know, the, the life that I kind of, you know, said I would give wasn't really panning out. You know, the dream wasn't really a dream as such. Um, the, the guilt I felt over that, my mum's health was, was failing quite badly back in the UK. And it was all on my sister's lap to deal with. Um, the guilt over that was, was terrible. Um, my sister had to put my mum in a home. You know, obviously I was involved in the decision-making, but I wasn't there day to day. Do you know what I mean? My sister was there for my mum throughout. Um, I had a lot of guilt over that. Turns out Dexter's birth defects and, and things like that is is something called Vactorl Association, which is a, which is a, a it's kind of a grouping of birth defects. Um, and my sister was also born with, with a, with a birth defect within that group so then I'm thinking well that's my shitty genes that I've passed on um guilt over that as well um just yeah the, the, the guilt and 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 that well, at that time was just was overwhelming Stu but I was just gotta keep going to work gotta keep going to work keep bringing the money in keep bringing the money in. that's all I could do um and we got through it um it was it was very very hard and very very stressful and and it really took its toll on me mentally. But all this time, I was still, I still never felt there was room in, in our marriage for me to put my hand up and go, can't do it. I'm, I'm out. No, I need, you know, help or I need to talk to someone. I just never did. And, um, you know, every, are you okay day? Yeah, of course I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. You know what I mean? I, I became very, very skilled at, um, at concealing what was going on with me. Um, and, and then, um, that fateful day. And if he's, if he's listening to this podcast, I don't blame you, Sammy, mate, this isn't on you, buddy, but a friend of mine started a punters club on sports bet. Um, so basically a few friends get together, you all pay in a certain amount every week. So we all paid in $10. We all had a bet and then the winnings goes into a pool. And then at the end of the year or whenever it is, you decide you'll go and, you know, spend your winnings on, you know, whatever. Um, and, and my mate, Sam, who's, who's got a part ownership in a race all said to me, do you want to come in? Um, and I said, yes. Um, and it was a $10 commitment a week, which I didn't feel was, 
was anything at all, really. But obviously, that's the hook that gets you downloading the app and 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 putting your credit card or or debit card on the on the app. And um, it started from there, Stu. Um, then you know, within a few weeks, I was I was depositing fifty a week, a hundred a week, um, just betting on football. And the job I was in at the time, by this time I had a full time job, two weeks on, two weeks off, but um, it was um, it was the easiest job I've ever had. Like it was a night shift was just just basically driving around in the U um, with me mate, me other English mate Paul. Uh, massive Man City fan, so we just go around. We, 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 you can stream the Premier League football over here, like on your phones, like legal. Um, and we, we just cruise around watching the, watching the football, having a bet. Do you know what I mean? It was fun at first. It was all right. It was a laugh, and then it started off on Premier League, and then, and then we, and then I started. You know, when I finished work, then you know I'd see what football was on at the end of my work day. So I watch that in my room at the end of the day. Have another bet. Um, you know, and then I start looking at the schedules and thinking, oh, what time do they kick off in Mexico? Do you know what I mean? And and then and then my day started revolving around it. Um, eventually, um, my wife at the time had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was obviously deeply, deeply unhappy, um, and and guilt ridden and stressed, and none of my issues had been addressed or resolved or treated in any way, shape or form. Um, and then, and then fast forward, you know, a year or so, um, and I'll, and I'll, I've run up a credit card to, to $35,000. Um, and I, and I don't know how I'm going to pay off. Um, but I'm betting on the, Kazakhstan under 17 reserves. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never, I'm not that bad, but do you know what I mean? It got to the point where I was just looking for, for throughout the day. My day revolved around, right, who's kicking off next? Who's kicking off next? And just, you know, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was um, not a great time. Um, and, and once I realized within the back of my mind, if we ever do anything like that again, we're finished. Um, I was kind of, uh, yeah, it, it hit me really hard when I realized I couldn't gamble my way out of the problem. And I had this debt and all my wages went into our joint bank account. It was 100% transparency with our finances between me and me and my ex-wife. And, um, I, I just, um, I didn't know what to do, Stu. And, um, and I started, I'll tell you how it started. I went to bed one night. I've been thinking about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to, how I'm going to pay this off. And I went to bed one night and I thought, I hope I don't wake up. That was the first, that was the first thought. I hope I don't wake up. Genuine. Oh, you froze for a sec, Mark. Like, uh, and I'll tell you what, if you was going to freeze on a cliffhanger, Oh my god! Like we've, uh, yeah, we seem to have lost lost oh, Mark, Mark from the chat. Uh, I was literally just open mouthed listening to that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> huh? he's gone. Um, well, I guess we should. I mean, just just dropping in until uh, Mark can re 
connect that connection. Mm. What, did, did you know much about this at this point, Curse? Did you kind of lost contact with Mark briefly or, you know, where no, was... No, so, so Mark and I have stayed in contact. I've known Mark for about 20 years, probably, yeah, about 20 years, actually, just over. Um, and I found about this, I found out about this the same time as um, his ex-wife um, and you know a few select members of his nearest and dearest family and friends who we knew he could trust and um yeah completely completely uh, took by surprise I mean even you know listening to Mark today I remember when Mark took me to Romford Dogs once it was a, it was brilliant brilliant um and it's you, it's so weird listening to it now. I feel really shitty that you didn't spot the signs, you know. Um, but you know, it's the same. It's the same as when you lose someone to suicide. It, hindsight is a nasty little bitch. Yeah, of course. You know, it, it, when you look back, it's all there, laid out in front of you. Um, and you know, all we can do are learn is learn lessons from that. And you know, for, for people, if, if someone doesn't want you to know something, they're really, really good at hiding it at the end of the day. If they don't want you to know it, they won't show it, whether that's feeling suicidal or, um, or you know, gambling or fighting any kind of addiction. But I suppose what's really important to us and to anybody listening to this podcast is that it's our responsibility to be extra vigilant just in case they are giving us little nuggets of you know, um, an indication that they are struggling with whatever, whatever it may be. Um, I think Mark's back, so let's just let him in. Go on, carry back. on. How are we doing? How are we doing? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like I say, if, if you know, if, if anybody's, you know, if, if this is resonating with people, then, or people that you think that are going to be affected by this, then, you know, you know, to, to, to coin to coin a phrase, reach out. Um, Mark, you literally just left us on a cliffhanger. You, you, you bugger. We <laughs> <laughs> phone overheated. We phone overheated. I think it's where I had it sitting. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I wish I didn't wake up. I think that was the last. Was that the yeah. last thing I said? And then you just yeah. hung up, and I was like, Jesus, what's happened? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. No, um, can you hear me all right still? Because the microphone's sort of yeah, tucked at the bottom of it. Um, so yeah, so that was that was kind of the the the, the early sort of signs, really, where I was just I was just lay in bed and think, I hope I don't wake up. And then and then the, and then the thought started getting a bit weirder because I, I genuinely uh, I had no idea. And what and the overriding thing for me, Stu, was um, I grew up, you know, with my parents' divorce, and it was absolutely fucking horrendous by the worst upbringing in terms of you know um what my parents were like you know um how much they argued um you know and and the bitterness and the and all the rest of it and and it, it scared the life out of me that that i would be condemning my kids to that um, that was all I could think about was, was I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to go for that. I don't want them to go there. And, and you might say, well, you should have thought of that when you were gambling, but, um, it wasn't a conscious, it wasn't a conscious decision to, to, to go, I oh, know I'll run up 35 grand on a credit card. You know what I mean? It just wasn't. Um, so 
the suicidal thoughts started started about I don't know. I was still gambling at the time and I knew I wasn't going to get out of it. So it would have been, say, March 2019. Um, I remember one night shift, um, my supervisor said, we had a shutdown coming up and and whenever there's a shutdown, there's loads of always hosing down and washing down of equipment. And he said to me, oh, are you driving out to the wharf? I said, yeah, he said, oh, do me a favour. Throw a few lamps of the hose pipe on the back and drop it off down the end of the wharf. I said, yeah, no worries. So I drove down there. And the wharf's a good spot on night shift for for a quiet half an hour, shutting your eyes, so I'm told. Um, and um, and I was down there with, with all this hose pipe in the back of the U, and I just thought, do it now. Yeah, let's do it now, do it now. And I started to think about, it would be my mate who, who would likely come across me. Um, and then I just thought, you selfish prick. Like putting putting him through that, do you know what I mean? Like, what are you thinking? And I guess if you're thinking that way, you're not you're not really committed. Do you know what I mean to it? Um, I don't think because I think you you when when you are, you know, people do commit suicide. You're not you're not in the you're not in your right frame of mind. You're not thinking about things like that. Do you know what I mean? That's just not not what comes in your head. So. Um, a lot of, um, well, almost all companies that, that do fly and fly out work, they have what they call an employee assistance provider. Um, and they provide counselling, psychology, um, completely free of charge, um, discreet, you know, um, no one, you know, your supervisor doesn't find out. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's nothing like that. Um, so I reached out to them. Um, at this point... I want to say that um, I could not have had a better person in my life to reach out to than Kirsty. She's one of my oldest and dearest friends. She's one of the most beautiful, kind, loving souls I've ever met. And I didn't, and she literally runs an organization. She's founded an organization called Reach Out for Mental Health, and I didn't reach out to her. And that, you know, anyway, Kirsty, that's that's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't. And you must have been sitting there thinking, I must be crapping my job if one of my oldest and best friends is in that position and can't reach out to me. Do you know what I mean? Like that that played on my mind as well a lot, you know. Um, but at that time, I didn't I didn't reach out to Kirsty. I reached out to to the employee assistance provider, um, and and she was. I had six six hour long sessions with her. Again, my ex wife had absolutely no idea. I was I was going through any of this um, at all, um, and I had six six one hour sessions with her. I even I even lied to my wife about that where I was going and and you know what I was doing and stuff like that. Um, and she she kind of brought into focus what's important to me in my life, you know, uh, i.e. the kids and you know, and the life we've got here in Australia and you know that kind of thing. And it and it and it kind of she taught me a lot about. Also, the psychology of gambling, um, how it works, you know, that kind of cycle you get caught in of, of you know, oh, I'll have a gamble. I've had a win. That made me feel really good. Brilliant. Awesome. Um, I'll do that again because I like that feeling of, you know, serotonin or whatever it is, you know, I love that feeling. I'll do that again. Oh, I've had a loss. 
I don't feel so good now. What makes me feel good? Having a bet. Oh, I've had another loss. Well, that's all right. What makes me feel good? Having a bet. And it's just that you get caught in that loop and, and that's it. Once you're caught in that loop, it's very, very difficult to, to get out of. Um, so I learned a lot about the, the psychology of gambling. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, the way it works. And, and I, I had a, a, a good understanding of, of what was important to me in my life. And um, another thing that happened during that time that, that I should probably mention is um, – I was quite ill. I I like medically ill. Um, I had some some quite serious stomach pains and cramps and like really debilitating, you know, pain. Um, and the doctor sent me for a uh, for a scan. And I remember laying there having that scan, thinking, "I hope it's pancreatic cancer, because if it is, it'll be quick." And the kids and my wife will be looked after financially because I've got quite a good, you know, life insurance policy. That's how fucked in the head I was at that time. I was thinking like that. Um, it wasn't. It was gallstones. But probably just over a year later, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and seeing him deteriorate the way he did and knowing how he died the way he did thinking that I'd wish that on my wife and my kids to see me I can't tell you how that felt to you it was I've never felt lower never had a lower opinion of myself than, than right then um, my dad passed away after about four or five months of treatment um, my mum had also passed away in that time as well um, and the job I was in hated it I knew there was a not a good environment for me to be in where I was around people who gambled um, I had time on my hands um, it made it very difficult for me to, to stop but I did stop um, 2019 April Fool's Day was the first day where I said Right, that's it. And, I, and at the time, I thought to myself, if I can at least, when this eventually does come out and my wife does eventually find out about this, at least I can say to her, I haven't gambled for however long. I'm off, I'm off it and I haven't, you know, I haven't gambled since. Um, and I stopped and I, I, I went on a, an app called The 100-Day Challenge which is basically a, a Gamblers Anonymous run app, I believe. Um, and it's basically, if you can do 100 days, you know, the, the, then you kind of broke, you know, the back of it kind of thing of gambling. Um, there's, there's chat rooms, there's, there's forums, there's, there's all sorts of support through the app. You can talk to people. Um, you know, I found it really good. I had a couple of false starts here, but, but April Fool's Day 2019 was the one where I went, if nothing else, I thought, how perfect, what a perfect day to stop, to stop gambling. Do you know what I mean? It was just, in my mind, it made perfect, like, karmic sense. I was like, why, why not? Um, it couldn't be a better day. Um, and that's how it's been for the last three years. Um, I remember 
two stories I want to tell where, where I knew I was on top of, of the gambling problem. One was, um, so that was the 1st of April, right? So, so the Masters golf um, happens in April. Um, and in 2019, I just had that. You know, sometimes when you get a feeling, I know you follow sports too, you just get a feeling and just go, I know, I know how this is going to go down. And I just had a feeling about Tiger Woods that year. And I just thought, he's a good bet. He was paying like 20 to 1 or something like that. And I thought, he's a good bet. He's a good bet. But I'd stopped gambling. And I, and I thought, I wish I hadn't stopped gambling because I'd be lumping on that. I'd be having 100 or 200 quid on that. Uh, dollars, sorry, on that. Um, and, and he won. And I remember thinking... That would have been like, you know, a good few grand there. And then within a split second, I thought, yeah. But if you'd still been gambling, you would have lost way more than that. You'd have lost way more than that. And, and that moment was like, a, yeah, this signified to me a real change of, of thinking of, of, of how I was looking at myself and my problem. Um, and then the, the time when I really knew, I was like, no, I've got this lick now. Um, and I know it sounds silly, but it was it was literally like six weeks after I stopped gambling. Um, and, and my ex-wife and I were at a, a charity gala ball for Harkies, which is a which is an organization that we, we both supported. And um the gala ball was in the casino. And I'd only stopped gambling five or six weeks previous. And again, my ex-wife had absolutely no idea, none at all. And um we were walking through after the, the gala board ended and it was all finished and we were staying in the, in the casino like itself, you know, we had a room and we were walking through the casino floor back to our room, past the roulette tables. And I suddenly thought, she'll think it's weird if you don't have a bet. Like, cause you always have a bet. And if you don't, she'll think it's weird and she'll ask you why you're not having a bet. And then she'll know. So you better have a bet. And then, Again, within a split second, I was like, no, that's just the gambler's brain trying to trick you into going back to gambling. Don't listen. It was like, it was literally like the little, the, the stereotypical, like the little, the little, the red, uh, the devil and the, and the angel on the shoulder. It was literally that. And, um, and I knew the moment I realized that and I identified that way of thinking, I was like, no. I'm good here. I know this. I know myself now. I know I'm on solid ground here now. Um, and I haven't gambled since, dude. Like, I, I, I'll say, like, it's a bit blurry when it comes. Like, I've bought lottery tickets. Do you know what I mean? But um, I, haven't, I haven't put $1,000 on Fulham to beat Southampton. Do you know what I mean? Which, which is what I was doing, you know? Um, it's, you know, I've bought the odd lottery ticket. I don't see that as problem gambling. I know some people do see it as gambling, but um, I don't. I self-excluded from from every betting app that you can think of. Um, and the, what compounded the problem for us at the time, Steve, was um, we already had like forty odd thousand dollars worth of credit card debt that my wife knew about. She had no idea about the other thirty-five. So we had a plan where we were, we were both earning like quite good money. It wasn't, you know, paying that $40,000 off wasn't really a big issue. We were paying it off $1,000 a month, three years, done, finished, no interest, all, all good, no worries. She obviously didn't know about the rest of it. 
Um, and I was struggling, racking my brains, because all I'm thinking now is, don't let her find out. Don't let her find out. Because she finds out, that's it. Because she said to you, if you do that again, it's over. And I didn't want to put my kids through the divorce and the separation and knowing what it's like and what it's like for a kid. Um, and so I went into, I went to some extreme lengths to, to keep it from her. And again, I had, I had not spoke. The only person who knew I had a gambling problem was a psychologist that I'd reached out to, you know, initially. Um, none of my mates knew, my boss didn't know, none, you know, nobody. Kirsty didn't know, you know, my best friend in the world didn't know. Um, and I sort of, right, what do I need to do now? How can I keep this? Because I've got some pretty hefty interest accruing now on these, you know, 80-something thousand dollars of, of credit. What am I going to do? Um, and so the practical things that I, that I did to, to deceive my wife was, um, first thing I did was changed all the residential addresses on the credit card accounts to where I was working. So the mail would go there. So she'd never get a letter. Um, I split my salary. Um, every time I got a pay rise, I increased the amount. So you can split your salary with the company I was working for at the time. So you can get percentages paid into, into different bank accounts. So I had three or 4% of my salary going into a different bank account that she didn't know about. Um, just to, to make the, the additional payments, um, just to try and keep on top of it in the short term. I rang the credit card company that had allowed me um, to, to run up the debt on the credit card because I had three credit cards. Only one of them would allow me to deposit on a, on a gambling site. They wouldn't, they wouldn't all, only one would. Um, and I rang them and said, look, I'm in a bit of problem here. Like I'm having a bit of trouble, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they put a, I had an account freeze on that for, for six months. So that, that gave me a little bit of leeway. Um, and then I started thinking, right, uh, you know, I've mentioned before our, our finances as a couple were, were completely transparent. So she, she knew every dollar that was, that was coming in for me. So I needed to find a way of paying that credit card without her finding out. Um, and that is where um, Sonic Death Monkey knew and used vinyl was born to do because um, I thought I need to get a side hustle going here. Um, and what that did for me was um, buying and selling secondhand vinyl was obviously, um, it filled, a, it filled a, an obsession gap for me, obviously being music related. Um, it was a guaranteed money maker because I know what records are worth and I'm not going to, um, you know, buy records and sell them for less. Um, I was basically running sponsored ads on Facebook you know, cash paid for vinyl record collections, blah, 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 buying in bulk, you know, blah, 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 um, and doing that. And then the other benefit of it was the buzz I would get turning up at someone's house and looking through that box of records um, didn't completely replace the buzz I got from gambling, but it was like, it was a methadone. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was a kind of a, you know, a, a substitute that I could live with. Um, so I found a way to, to keep, not get the principal debt down, but at least keep on top of the interest payments and, and keep the family together um, for three years without my wife finding out. The lies I told you, shameful. 
incredible. Like the amount of conversations we had about a credit card and what the amount was and when it was going to be paid off and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just lied through me ass to, to keep the family together, just to keep us all together because I didn't want to split up from her. I didn't want the kids to have to go through it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but to, to wake up thinking about credit card debt, to think about credit card debt all day long, to go to sleep thinking about credit card debt, to having anxiety dreams about credit card debt. For three years, I, I wasn't there, Stu. Like I was not there as a, as a husband, as a dad, as an employee. I wasn't at the races, mate. I just could not think about anything else. It was just the fog was just so thick in my brain. I couldn't think about anything else other than how we're going to play this off. Um, and then um, I would say June last year, um, my ex-wife said to me, um, I want to remortgage, um, release some equity and renovate the two bathrooms. And I had to disclose debt. And, um, and that was it, basically. Um, she ended the marriage. Um, I had to move out, um, tell the kids. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great time, mate. Um, Telling the kids was—I I see it now. Like I said, my son's got autism, Stu, and one of one of his autistic traits is he doesn't—he doesn't make eye contact. He doesn't. It's quite a common thing for autistic kids. And I was sitting with him on the sofa and his sister, and I was telling them, and um, he looked at me direct in the eye. He said, "Is it permanent, Dad?" And I said, yeah, it is, mate. And I was flashback to, I was exactly his age when I had exactly the same conversation with my parents. And it was, I can safely say, hands down, the worst moment of my life, easily by a country mile, seeing the hurt and look in his eye when I said, yeah, it is, mate. And that's the one and only time in his life he's looked me in the eyes too. And um, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. That was um, a big low point, a big low point. Um, but it was a rough couple of months. I stayed in the house for a couple of months while I sorted things out. I didn't have a job. Um, I'd left me other job. I'd been doing casual work, you know, throughout the year. Um, and that's when it all started to turn around, Stu. Um, from that point onwards, um, my son particularly was quite anxious about geographically how far away I was going to be. And um, the first kind of piece to fall into place was, was I got this rental that I'm in now, which is less than a kilometre from where they live with their mum. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's three bedrooms, so they both got their own bedroom. Um, and then a good friend of mine um, that I'd been work, I'd worked with him 
years back, 2013, 2014, 2015, we worked together. And um, I've worked with him again in Darwin uh, throughout that summer or winter, sorry. Um, and he said to me, I can get you on as a shutdown coordinator off the tools in the office, Perth based. Um, and at the time I was working one week on one week off and I was having the kids the week off when I was back in Perth, which, which seemed like a good idea at the time. But after a couple of weeks, it was like, this ain't sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> this ain't sustainable. So yeah. So, um, he, he got me the job. I got, well, I, obviously he didn't do the interview. I'd done the interview. Um, but yeah, he got me in the door and I got the job and, and I worked from Perth full time and they couldn't be any more helpful in terms of flexibility of me having the kids and, um, and all the rest of it. It's another piece that, that dropped into place. Um, then after I moved out, I just sort of thought, well, I don't want to meet anyone else. Obviously, it had been a pretty rough few months. Um, but, you know, blokes have needs to, do you know what I mean? So I just was was on the dating apps for, for a bit of fun. That was it. That was it. Um, and I met this woman. And um, she, I've never met anyone. Well, on the dating app that we were using, Bumble, right? You can see each other's Spotify and um, your top top 12 or top 20 artists or whatever. And I never, I looked at her top 20 and I was like, nah, you're joking, aren't you? Like it was just, it was ridiculous. And it wasn't just like, you know, Blur on Oasis. It was like, you know, Michael Kiwanuka, you know, Bonnie Ver, um, the Teskey brothers, Leon Bridges, like not, you know, well-known people, but not like, massive huge stars you know what I mean it was and it was I'd say 18 out of the 20 were like that and I was just like wow we got we're gonna have plenty to talk about um and and it and we went out on a date and it was amazing um we went out on another date and it was amazing and um and we've been together six months Stu um and and it's incredible um she's she's a single mum she works um but the the space she makes for me in my in her life is is unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how she does it. Um she's kind, she's um she brings out the best in me, you know, she she encourages me with the business and you know she even tells me she likes me singing, Stu. Do you know what I mean? Really? <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, she's just in, in every way. She's she's so kind and 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 nurturing and, and lovely. And um, she's got two kids, slightly older than mine. Um, she's been divorced for a few years, um, same age as me. Yeah, it's just we just clicked straight away, and 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 I didn't tell her everything. She knew there was something. Do you know what I mean? Going on with me. Um, but I didn't tell her everything until just after Christmas. This is the first week of January this year. Went down to the beach, sat down there with a six pack and had a chat. And um, she'd already said to me prior, she said, it doesn't matter what it is. I've seen enough of you to know 
um, you know, that, that I want this to, you know, go on long term. It doesn't matter what, what you've got to tell me. Um, it's not going to change the way I feel about you. Um, and, and I sat down with her and, and I, I literally had that conversation I've just had with you pretty much. Um, and, and she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you went through that. Um, and whenever you start to feel like that, please tell me, you know, let me know what I can do, how I can help you. Um, and, and I got really emotional, Stu, because that's all I wanted before. Do you know what I mean? And I didn't get it. And yeah, it was, she's amazing. And um, so that's where we are now pretty much, mate. Um, three years gambling free, um, new job, new missus. Kids are, you know, obviously my priority, um, always will be. They're doing all right. They seem to be going okay with the, with the transition. Um, my daughter's six. Um, she has to sleep in my bed the first night she's in my house because it's weird, apparently, at my house um, the first night. Um, and we have to go through the whole routine of, um, you know, Band-Aids, ice packs, drink of water, you know, and everything else before bed. But um, other than that, they're, they're both, you know, doing well at school and no behaviour issues or anything like that. And so that's good. Um, job's going well. Happy. Yeah. I know, yeah, I am, Stu. I'm happy and I've been for years, mate. And 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 even though, and I said it to my ex-wife the, the week after, I said, even though I've I've blown this up, you know, I've blown our lives up, and I know it's a terrible thing to say because I know what I've done, I feel better. I feel better. Just having that weight. Um, and then in the days after I told my ex-wife, obviously then I reached out to, to Kirsty. Um, and, and my brothers and my sister um, and all my other friends gradually and and the, the support and love and just awesomeness from, from those people, the unconditional, you know, Kirsty's been there, you know, all hours listening to me rant, cry, shout, commiserated, mates who took me out to the pub and made me laugh and the people I've got around me, I'm so lucky. And I want I want anyone who's listening to to know that um, it, it, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how um, how much you think you're gonna you're gonna blow up your life by talking about your issues, wherever they may be, addiction, gambling, drugs, you know, mental health issues, whatever, however bad the impact you think it's gonna have on your life. It will get better. Yeah, my uh, like for me for those first two or three months, it was absolute hell stew. But ultimately, after it all, out of the end of it all, I've come out better, a better person. I know more about myself. Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm more motivated, more creative. Um, you know, I'm just I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a better person all round, and 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 that's and it was hard at first. Don't get me wrong, it was it was really hard, but I've come out the other side and, and everyone will. If you if you lean on your friends, lean on your family, whoever you've got in your life to support you, you know, mental health professionals, whoever, people like Kirsty, just do it. Don't don't think it's gonna, you know, it will be hard, but ultimately, in the long run, it will be for the best. And that's all I want people to take away from this combo. Normally try and add something to the end of that, but I don't think I need to. I think that's a <laughs> that's a perfect place to stop. 
Mark, thanks, honestly, thanks for being so open, honest. I'm so no proud of you, Mark. Mark. Thank you. Thanks, Kirst.